0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, you know, I always like to introduce you to you friends and experts that I enjoy and think are amazing, but this is someone that I've worked with. And Kristen and I spent probably two years working creating treatment program and boy, knocking it out of the park with the work that I think we did then. And so uh, Kristen is now in private practice and doing a whole lot of wonderful work with partners and spouses. And I just wanted to bring her on to talk about some of the things she's seeing going on in her practice and mental health uh, and online. So folks, this is Kristen Snowden. Say hi, Kristen.
1: Hello. It's so great to be here.
0: And why don't you tell them a little bit about you and what you're doing and your life and you know all that before we get into the issue? Wait, wait, wait. wait, I have a first question for you. How did you like working with me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess in one sentence, you forever changed the trajectory of my life and career. So I don't know if that sounds big enough.
0: Wow, that's pretty big. But did I change it in a good way? I could have changed it in
1: a terrible way. I'll I'll be honest. At the point before I met you, I was kind of questioning my choices to be in this career field. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I did enjoy addiction. But when I started working with you and we started running that men's drug and sex addiction program, the first one in the world, I really fell in love with your model for treating addiction recovery I really fell in love with, believe it or not, with working with sex addicts and in even so betrayed partners. The, the amount of empathy and compassion that I feel across the board for this illness, that, and I put that under the umbrella of, of people struggling with love addiction type um, symptoms as well. And
0: your intimacy disorders.
1: Intimacy disorders in general, right? The way that we really screw up love and sex and connection with other people.
0: Right. That's what we do.
1: Yeah. And I I love it. And I've never turned back from then on. And I'm always grateful that uh, you put me down this path.
0: Well, what I want to say to that is, you know, I said earlier that we had a lot of fun together. And what that I know that we're dealing with serious issues, God knows we work with so much pain and so much loss. But as therapists, if the work is going right, we feel good about it. Like when we watch people heal, when we watch them turn that corner, when we see them move from duh to oh my god (laughs) it's it's incredibly rewarding for us and i've seen a lot of the a lot of does go into like uh, wow with you Kristen. so how has that affected the work you're doing now out in the world and and uh and tell us about what sort of what from being that environment to now being in this what are you learning and how are you growing and how can you what are your thoughts now
1: Well, right now, you know, I kind of wanted to reach out to you to talk about a subject that I keep seeing surfacing that I was really like, gosh, I really wonder what Rob's thoughts are on this. But I continue to see some women, but also some men come into treatment and kind of come in with a typical depression diagnosis, anxiety diagnosis, some trauma. But then when I kind of, they usually call me in to do some kind of biopsychosexual workup with clients.
0: So, so like an evaluation is what you're talking about.
1: Right. Kind of ask some deeper questions around mm-hmm. their sexual experiences, their potential sexual traumas, um, history, their kind of thoughts and feelings around love and connection with others, attachment theory stuff.
0: But you're also looking at, just, you know, their, their health, their functionality, just general mental health things, mental health things. But you have more of a focus because of our work on the meaning of the connections in their life and how much that can be a source of so much pain.
1: Right. I'm trying to put puzzle pieces together of patterns that haven't been working for them and maybe where they can just connect with a feeling that this doesn't feel right, this feels wrong, I don't like this, I'm sad, I'm anxious, and see if I can find tie-ins to the relationships or sexual behaviors or any kind of other trauma or other struggles that they might have out there. So I was finding an overwhelming amount of people who were first coming in with um, depression and anxiety and maybe some some childhood sexual trauma or something like that or physical trauma. And then I get deeper into it. And and oftentimes too, there might be like a borderline diagnosis that they have emotional regulation issues, right? One minute they're happy.
0: They might be more seriously mentally ill than simply uh, their day-to-day struggles.
1: Maybe I mean yeah. Sometimes it it obviously there's a spectrum, Mm -hmm. and then I get into their history, and I find that again sometimes men, but it's also often recently it's been women. They'll have a long term marriage, maybe 20 years, where there's been multiple infidelities by their partner, lots of kind of inappropriate um, boundary pushing, boundary pushing within the family system. So maybe even like inappropriate relationships with sisters and siblings. Where I take a step back and I'm kind of like, I'm sure there's lots of other trauma issues going on here, but of course you have emotional dysregulation issues. Of course you're sad. You're living in a home where you feel constantly unsafe around kind of like sexual induced traumas and betrayal traumas.
0: So Kristen, I think I want to clarify what you're saying. I think what you're saying in the broader sense is there a lot of men and women who go seek out a therapist because they're really depressed, or they have a history of depression, they're really struggling with anxiety, or maybe they're spacing out and you know lose track of things, and they're just not doing well? And they come in, and you approach them from a mental health perspective, which is okay. You're functioning, it's going on your life, your memory, whatever. But instead of just doing that solo you also detail and go into their sexual, their romantic, and their intimate lives. And what it sounds like you're finding is reasons for their depression and anxiety that aren't biological necessarily, that don't come from necessarily some early life trauma, but that are really being maintained by the pain that they're going through with an unfaithful partner.
1: Yes and it, and then the fact that it the language that they lack from it right they have no language for it until we start going down this path and educating on concepts around gaslighting which you know you and I have talked about before on the fact mm-hmm. that when your partner does betray you your body holds that in as a trauma just as serious as a car accident or a geopolitical disaster that that your body doesn't delineate between the two if anything it can be much more insidious because it's the person that you're supposed to be most intimate with and love the most and you feel the most unsafe with them
0: well i also would say chris and add to that that you know we expect when someone's in a crisis you know Maybe they just found out an affair or something that they might want to seek some help because they're overwhelmed. But I think the people you're talking about also get a little drip, drip 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 over the years, their partner's less available. They're less intimate. They're more distracted. They're lying about where they are. They're spending more and more time away from the family. And it's kind of like the frog in the boiling water. They don't know how they got that crazy because in the beginning it wasn't that big a deal, but over time it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then someone says, what's wrong with you? How come you're depressed all the time? How come you're dragging yourself around? How come you're not the person I used to know? Do you have some kind of mental health problem? and off that person goes to the to the therapist thinking they're depressed or they're anxious or whatever it is maybe they think they need medication and then they come to a realization with someone like you that their pain has a different and very legitimate basis foundation
1: yeah or, or certainly can can give some more insight about the patterns that are showing up that are causing these mental struggles and this crisis
0: what are the kinds? You said we give names to their pain or the things they're struggling with. I, I heard the word gaslighting, which means, by the way, when someone consistently denies your reality, someone you're in a close relationship with, and you say, you know, the color of the sky is blue, and they say, no, it's gray, and you say, uh, they say I'm going home at six, and then they don't don't come home till eight. And then you say, I thought you were coming home at six, and they said, I never said that. These are the kinds of things that make people crazy. And this is the kind of gaslighting that leaves partners feeling like, is it me or is it them?
1: Yeah. I'd say one of the most common things that I see is women who will tell me there's been a history of infidelity, but their their current present state is that they feel like their husbands are not cheating on them anymore. And they, they're kind of choosing to move forward. Um, but the thing is, is they're still expressing extreme unrest within their physiology. Like their body doesn't feel safe or comfortable. They mm-hmm. feel a high anxiety and depression struggle, sleeping, thinking, ruminating thoughts, um, etc.
0: So they're still traumatized. Yeah, You're exactly, still traumatized. Ex-
1: exactly. And I, and then I go back into their history and we find out that the, the infidelity was never like validated. There was never any kind of full um, forthcoming Mean disclosure from their partner. So,
0: so they never really knew what was going on. They just moved on.
1: Right. And they're just kind of like, okay, right now today, everything's okay, I think. But there, there's this kind of reluctance or, or lack of awareness that there was so much done in the history of the relationship that's going to contribute to their current trauma state
0: you know, without validation of what you're going through, you know, yes, honey, I let you down. Yes, I, it it has to be that there's something wrong with you. You know, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Why aren't we talking about it? The person who's carrying all that gets more and more wrapped up in themselves and in the problem. The thing is, Kristen, how do you think they end up being convinced that they're depressed or they're anxious? And I know it's often their spouses, male and female, who say things like, oh, I can't stand your angry face. I can't stand your constant doubting me. I can't, you got to go get some help. And then they go see you, right? And how do you get them from, well, first of all, the question was, how do their partners convince them there's something wrong with them? That's other than we're fighting and I don't believe in you.
1: Right. Well, because usually it's the person who's acting out in the infidelity or the chronic infidelity or the sex addiction or the hidden porn addiction, et cetera. They're often masters of compartmentalizing, right? So they're not the ones who usually are outwardly showing symptoms. And th- this is just my theory, outwardly showing the symptoms of depression or anxiety, because they've kind of been able to just put their stuff, their crap, their trauma, their, their lies and their manipulation in a cabinet somewhere and forgotten about it.
0: Well, and let me just say about that, they use the addiction to keep that door closed so they don't have to look at their own stuff.
1: Right. They're just more adaptive at that, quite frankly, right? Mm-hmm, Whereas mm-hmm. their partners don't even know. They just know something's swarming around that's dark and dangerous and doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. They can't mm-hmm. put a, a finger on it, so their brain is never able to really write a full story and, and kind of make sense and say, oh, this is what's going on. Let's pack it away um, and, and put it off to the side because it's processed trauma now. So the kind of the trauma, the unspoken, the unknown, the fully unidentified trauma swirls around around them and stirs up their neurobiology, which is, of course, is going to trigger symptoms of feelings of depression and anxiety. So it'll often manifest in maybe them isolating, right? So a lot of my these clients I'm talking about will sleep for hours during the day, stay You know, stop Mm. returning phone calls.
0: Well, that sounds like depression.
1: Right. Or they'll, on the complete other side of the spectrum, scream and rage and, you know, yell expletives at not just their partner, but other people around them. Because
0: they're so unhappy.
1: Yeah. And again, it's their neurobiology. I mean, how mm-hmm. can you make the next best choice and and have the next best reaction to life in general when your body's in a constant state of crisis?
0: And that constant state of crisis will continue as long as it's never really been talked about and worked through. Because even if you so- forgive someone, I, was imma- I would imagine as a partner, Anytime someone goes out and they stay out late, or they, you don't know why they're at the office at this hour, or you, you must be going back in your head to that, hmm, I wonder if they're at it again, but you've never talked about it, really dealt with. You just have this feeling.
1: Right. And a, and a great example of that would be a recent client. Um, you know, everything's quote unquote okay, even though they haven't processed the past traumas of the relationship at the time. But she noticed this week was really tough for her, but we get deeper into the story and find out that she saw some text messages from someone that he formally acted out with years ago.
0: The spouse saw texts from the affair partner that was on her husband's phone.
1: Right. And, and her cognitive thinking process, right? So the person, the The one part of her brain's like, well, he's not doing it anymore. Why are you so upset? Get over Mm -hmm. it. And that's probably also what she's getting from other people and the spouse. But the truth is, is that I want these people to not invalidate what their body's telling them. Mm -hmm. We don't need to justify our physiology, picking up trauma, abuse, or lack of safety. And we need to talk about it you know, in a safe space that this is what's coming up for me. When I read these text messages, I know that you may not be acting out right now, but this is the stuff that's coming up for me.
0: What I think I hear you saying is in the intellectual sense, these women are saying, or these men are saying, oh, you know, you should get over it. This has been a long time ago. What's the big deal? He's not, or she's not doing this anymore, but they're not really paying attention to their emotional responses. And they kind of deny them and try to talk themselves out of it using that kind of language. And then, boy, nothing gets you more depressed than telling yourself that your feelings don't matter, right?
1: Yeah, or definitely in a shame spiral, right? When that kind of stuff is so shaming to begin with, that deep fear, insidious fear that you're unlovable or so easily replaceable or someone right. to abandon or reject. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, look at you being this irrational person that gets so upset over a text mm. message. When the
0: spouse is the person who's having the affair, they reinforce that, right? It's why are you being so irritable? Why are you being so upset? You're not the person I married. Why are you nagging all the time? And the problem is, is that the person who's saying those things doesn't realize that they in many ways turned that other person into that person with their distance, with their lying, with their gaslighting, with their cheating, they really can often turn a very lovely, engaged, warm person into a nagging, overweight, difficult, screaming Mimi who is being someone they don't want to be.
1: Right. And, and so it's just with all these people coming in recently with, yes, they do have depression. Yes, they do have anxiety, but I implore all these people to ask more questions, to get deeper into the why, to the, be more curious and also push through those shame voices that are telling them they're being unreasonable, that they shouldn't still have issues with this. And, and just accept I my body's telling me I do. And what do I need to do to feel safe again? What kind of conversations do I need to have?
0: But you just said that the neighbor says, it, you know, my husband did that five years ago. I've just moved on that the, you know, the, certainly the spouse, husband, or wife says, come on, this is a long time ago. Let's get over this. You know, you know, I'm like, she's, or she, this person's getting every message that is on the side that isn't good for them from the people who don't want to deal with it, whether it's a friend who says, come on, or the husband or wife who says, I don't want to get any deeper into that. So they're not only feeling like this, they should just let this go, but everyone around them is saying, why are you making such a big deal out of this?
1: Right. Which means they need to do some deep work with A, people who, that's why I always encourage people to specialize in either like sex addiction, betrayal, trauma, really understanding the um, deep unconscious traumas around this type of stuff. But also um, a lot of shame resiliency work to build up the courage to say that I don't need to de- defend this anymore. I don't need to be ashamed of this anymore.
0: It's my truth and I'm going to sit in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, why do I need to be embarrassed and ashamed that I saw a text message that, or a song or I, we drove by a restaurant or someone mentioned something that makes me feel unsafe again? Mm -hmm. Can I just, can we just hold space? And it doesn't mean I need to rant and rave and throw things, but it just means that if you want to be, so meaning the, let's say the, the acting out partner, if you want to be my intimate partner, I need to know that when my body feels unsafe and I come to you to feel safe, to feel validated, to kind of maybe run through to make sure you're not acting out again, that's not unreasonable. It's really not.
0: Well, but what if I never did it, never really admitted it to you? Or it was just that one time in Vegas, you're making too big a deal out of it? Or, you know, when I'm doing that kind of thing, but I love you and I care about you and I'll never do this again and I'm so sorry. How do you face that holding on to your feelings?
1: Right. And, and that's why, again, as we know, people who are experienced in this whole sex addiction recovery, that there is a process, a pretty proven process at this point to try to structure um, truth finding, trust building shame, resiliency right. work, right? I mean, that's what you do at your treatment center and everything.
0: And you at yours, but that's, that's for people who have acknowledged and recognized that there's a problem and they're going to get help for it either themselves or their partner. But we're really talking about somebody who just walks into therapy and said, Oh my God, I just can't get up in the morning. and I'm not like I was, and I'm not going to the kids games. And I just can barely drag myself to work and I'm sleeping all the time. And I don't know why that's, who's walking into your office we know how to deal with the people who walk in and say, Oh, you know, my husband's this and and the, and the spouse says, yes, I've been doing this. And we know then what we've got right in front of us, some kind of infidelity or addiction issue. But these are people just walking in saying, I'm feeling miserable. And it sounds like you have a way of moving that to, I think I know why.
1: Yeah. Bringing it to their conscious level, right? You can't fix anything that you're not aware of. You can't change any patterns that you don't realize exist.
0: So if I were that man or woman, and I was talking to you, And I started to feel like, wait a minute, this isn't actually about me at all. This is me responding to a really difficult situation that would make anyone feel awful. I think I'd feel better for sure. But I also would start thinking about wanting to murder my spouse. And I'm just wondering (laughs) if when, you know, depression we say is anger turned, we say depression is anger turned inward. Right. Anger turned inward. And so Once you get the person to realize that they're not really the target of that anger and they swing around and put it where they feel it belongs, you have a very different scenario to deal with, I would imagine.
1: Right. No, absolutely. I think it's just building up the education and support. I mean, that's why obviously I also think these people need to turn towards a community of maybe betrayed partners so they can keep hearing other people's stories and gain courage from them. That's usually a more expeditious way of getting to the point.
0: And I know that you read and love and use pro-dependence because you use it to help these people feel like it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They couldn't have known when they met this person that this was going to happen. And that when you're in deep pain over what someone else has done to you, you don't need to deeply examine yourself when the problem is right in front of you.
1: Right. And I'm already in enough shame about, I can't believe that this is my new life and my new reality. I don't need you to further shame me. With the idea that I want to reconcile and I want to see if there's a chance that this person that I've invested this time and energy and history and life with, that that does have moments of joy and moments of good things that I want to reconcile. Don't look at me like I'm a crazy person.
0: Well, I often think of partners, you know, I've worked with a lot of therapists who like, uh, and I think they're a little over-identified and they hear this spouse say, well, they they did this to me and they did that to me. They didn't show up and they were with this person and that person. And the therapist turns around, how could you put up with that? Like, why would you even stay? And I think in those moments, the partners are more feeling like they were hit by a truck. And they don't know the license plate number and they're lying on the ground and they think they can back, get back up, but they're not sure. And they don't even know what to do next. So, yeah, I don't think a lot of those folks come to us. I want to do this and I'm ready to make changes. And I, they're more like, how did the, how did I get in the middle of the street?
1: Right. And, th- and I think another part, too, is also identifying what has been harming an abusive behavior to them, right? Because there's stuff that the, the acting out, the addict, is doing outward outside the relationship but there is the gaslighting the emotional abuse the manipulative behavior that happens at them and to them and it's also helping them realize that that's not okay that that's impacted you negatively and you we can start building up a language and boundaries to help you get safe again from that
0: hey there i sure hope you're enjoying this sex love and addiction podcast So does it happen that people decide that they don't want to continue in their relationships as they get in touch with the reality of how they've been harmed and how they've been left being blamed for the very healthy feelings that they're having?
1: Of course. There's some people who find this out and they're done. And then there's some people who find this out and say, okay, maybe we can fix this. I I know people that were done and then came back and then were done and came back and are working on it again, right? We all reach different levels of motivation and, and seasons of change. And it's, I always say it's all about the willingness, the humility and the accountability in both partners, obviously both people.
0: Well, I would say as a partner, why do I need to be humble towards someone who did these awful things to me?
1: Yeah, I know there's, there's obviously in a relationship, there are people who feel like sometimes there's parts of their side of the street that they want to keep clean. Right. I mean, so personally in me, that in, in like my relationship, there can be things that my partner does wrong, but I can always still look back and say what that what happened there was not okay and I'm not okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I can always improve my communication skills. I can always improve my reactions to things. Um, so that's that that takes some humility, right? To always acknowledge that I'm a flawed person. And and while I I didn't do those kind of behaviors and they're not acceptable to me. I can always own, okay, I can speak better. I can respond better.
0: I don't have to rage. I don't have to throw things at the wall. I don't have to nag person all the time. I don't have to yell in front of the kids. Stuff like that. Is that what right, you're talking right. about? I don't
1: have to drag my family into it. And so that's mm-hmm. really where the humility comes in, I think, is despite mm. how deeply you've been harmed by someone, you still can always take a step back and say, You know, my behaviors do not cause his addiction or her addiction, um, and I will never accept blame for their bad choices.
0: Or their cheating or their infidelity or any of that.
1: Right. But I can always look and say, you know, how do I respond? How can I improve? I need to get maybe better plugged into my feelings, my experience, set up boundaries of what's okay and what's not okay, and have the courage to be present with those.
0: You know, Kristen, I've always had this thought that, I mean, not always, it's more recent, that, you know, mental health in the day to day is really about being able to balance our intellect and our emotions. You know, we have all these feelings about something, but then we think, well, you know, uh, under those circumstances, and then we figure out where we should be. And it does seem like some of the people you're talking about, they're very intellectualized and devaluing their feelings. And what you need to get them to is a balance of feeling their feelings, but also having some objective views of them. I know with addicts they spend all their time in their head and they justify and rationalize everything. And on the other hand, your partners have been betrayed and lied to and all of that, and they're all in their emotional I hate you, you in my life. And neither one is really in a healthy place at that point, would you think?
1: Right. No, absolutely. And it and it goes back to to not not just their in their head, but their their symptoms are legitimate, right? We are feeling being, and so we feel depressed. We feel anxious. We feel rageful or like we want to isolate from the world. And so that's usually what we first focus on and think is the problem. Um, it takes a lot more courage and work, and I think some, you know, professional support around you to make some more deeper connections. Because it may be partially because you're you're married to an, an addict, and it might also, as a part of it, um, be about maybe childhood trauma. But it, it not always, and it's important to sli- slowly peel the onion when um, when the time is right for things like that.
0: So. I have to ask, what is the difference between, let's say I'm a female partner and I come into you and I come in depressed and anxious and we get down to the fact that I've been cheated on a couple of times and there's real reasons why I got depressed and anxious and I start to work through the pain that I've been in and start to realize it isn't my fault and maybe I start to develop other feelings like anger and disappointment rather than being upset with myself. And then I go home. And I'm living with someone who still denies, doesn't pay attention, you know, says red when I say blue, and I keep being pushed at home into the situation where I have to doubt myself. How do I hold on to myself in, in a situation where my partner is either in denial or still being a jerk or not willing to accept my feelings? I mean, that's a very hard thing to sit in, hold on to yourself in the face of the person you're closest to pushing you in a different direction. How do you deal with that?
1: Uh, that's a really big problem. And that's one of the reasons why I push group work so much Mm. is because I think when you, when you're going to very obviously lose a grasp with, you know, is, is up, up and is down, down and is dark, dark, you know, lose really perspective of things that would be basic things to know from probably the outside looking in, you need those people around you who, you know, kind of stand there and go, I don't know why you think that feeling's unreasonable. It makes complete sense to me. I'm getting angry as you're telling me this story. So of course you'd be angry to that. And and you can that can only happen with a community, a supportive community around you.
0: And there's also something about in the women's groups, a woman, you know, an attractive, intelligent woman who feels really crappy about herself and feels like maybe she deserved it on some level. And she looks across the room and she sees some other attractive, engaging woman. And she thinks, well, wait a minute, if that happened to her then maybe I'm not so awful. You know, maybe I'm just like everyone else. And by the way, I have a question for you, Kristen, just to do a little marketing plug, if you don't mind. Do you think the podcasts, the ones we're doing right now, Sex, Love, and Addiction, do you think that people find them
1: helpful? I personally send them to clients all the time, especially the stuff on Betrayed Partners. That is just an area in the mental health professional world where I feel like we fall short So much in in helping people understand this dynamic of trauma that's kind of unspoken and it gets overlooked, and we don't dive into it. So, your professionals that come on and speak about it so beautifully, I, I count on them to kind of educate my clients on the side and even other therapists because I want them to see it from this perspective too. It's a huge blind spot in our community, huge.
0: And what about the support? Again, I'm going to a little marketing on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. You've done spend time there. I think there are four partners groups for women and a couple for men. They're all free. They're all monitored by therapists. Do you think a woman or a man who's struggling with this sitting in a free group like that, where they can even put their hand over the camera and not be seen, you, you know, they might resist that. They might not want to be around those people. But do you think that there is a reason for them to sit in those groups and even just listen to what other betrayed people are going through?
1: Yes. I mean, the, the answer is always yes. I think that the most powerful things happen in a setting of a group.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: if you feel like you can't garner strength, watching someone else have courage is contagious. Mm-hmm. If you are struggling with actually speaking the truth, watching someone else speaking the truth is contagious. And when you feel like you're not even going to get out of bed, sometimes you'll just get out of bed to support another person. And I think, yes, the, the betrayed partners, I, I mean, you obviously know I'm a huge fan and I participate in content for sex and relationship because I do truly believe in it. And I get so many email all the time. You know, I live in, in the middle of nowhere. No one around me understands sex addiction. No one understands the stuff you're talking about with betrayal trauma, Where do I go? And I thank God that one of my answers is no matter where you are, no matter what your finances are, sexandrelationshiphealing.com is always there. And it's not just like a half-assed support system. We're talking some of the experts, like the leading experts in the country. I do groups. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and we know from the numbers, Rob, that it's only gone up exponentially during this COVID crisis.
0: But, you know, I think that this is just one of the places, you know, I'm always a big fan of support 12-step groups. I think the challenge for partners is when you end up in a codependency program where they're asking you to look at yourself and what did you do wrong and why did you pick this person and why do you stay with this person? And when they put someone into that kind of self-doubt, then those programs are not helpful. I think it's hard to find a 12-step program for partners who are betrayed that comes from the perspective of you did nothing wrong but love this person. And if you became a mess, you know, it's because of loving this person, not because you're a mess. And, you know, that way of thinking, Well, I, I really appreciate that you embrace it because it's made you much more compassionate, engaged therapist for these women in pain. By the way, I want to say to you, Kristen. I remember when we started, and I'll tell you two things that you were not that have changed. One is you weren't a fan of working with the partners. You really like getting into those attics and telling them where they were at. You know, your partners were difficult. So I'm so impressed that you have moved to this population. Do you want to say a little bit about how that happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it helped because I think I found more passion. And I saw the lights going off in, in partners' eyes when we would start talking about the gaslighting and the manipulative behavior and the betrayal trauma. I would originally use those kind of terms to help the addicts realize that their behaviors were impacting their loved ones. And kind of help them really challenge this idea that it was like their addiction was their addiction and it wasn't affecting other people. And kind of showing them how they were really, really screwing mm-hmm. with their loved one's mental health and state of mind.
0: This is out of the doghouse kind of stuff.
1: Right. And then when you take it to the partners, and you know, I started doing some YouTubes and stuff on it, and the amount of feedback I was getting of like, oh my God, thank you. You have putting a language to a thing that I thought – I was going crazy, and now you've given me a language to really start talking about what what we're really talking about here, the real stuff, and a kind of a pathway to healing where before they felt none.
0: The other change I've seen in you, Kristen, is I remember when we first started, you were like, groups? Well, I want to meet people individually. Like, How is a group really going to help? And listen to you now, understanding the power of community, the power of peer socialization and peer support, and peers confronting each other. Um, So I'm really impressed in you because I still believe in group that you too kind of embrace that we can do lots of work with these folks outside of group, but it is in the group that they come to peace with themselves because they're not, they're less alone. We're a therapist. We're not, you know, we're seen differently. We're not necessarily seen as their peer, but sitting around with peers and talking about the same problem, I think is just so golden. And I'm so glad that you've embraced that as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely the most profound work. And I always just feel like. I'm lucky to be a witness to the process.
0: To witness. Yeah. Witness. So Kristen, you wonderful person. How do can people how can people reach you? I know you have a client waiting. How can people get a hold of you, either your work or hear from you or speak to you? Can you give us all the ways they can do that?
1: Well, I um, have a website, Kristen Snowden.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-S-N-O-W-D-E-N. I have a YouTube channel, but quite frankly, most of that stuff's just the Sex and sexandrelationshiphealing.com um, content. Um, I have lots of what I try to do is helpful articles, some podcasts. And actually, Rob, I'm not sure if you knew this, shameless self-plug, but Scott and I, Scott Brassert, who also provides for sexandrelationshiphealing.com, we are almost done with a book called Life Anonymous, The 12 Steps Are For Everyone. And it kind of stirred from my own passion of, of when you were teaching me your, your experience and the way you teach 12 Steps and how I don't identify as an addict. But that learning and training obviously changed my, my professional life, but it also profoundly changed my personal life and how I engage in relationships and how I manage life. And so it's a book that's just kind of talking about how 12 steps are definitely profoundly effective for addicts. And this is why, but for people who don't identify as addicts, this is, this is also effective um, for you. So it could be for partners of addicts it can be for people who are just interested in learning more about it like a program for change so we're really excited about it we're in the final final phases
0: so this is a book coming out specifically for them to really look at what they can work on and take the focus off the person who's causing them pain and put the focus back on themselves
1: Right, lots of work on boundary setting, communication, Mm. empathy, compassion for yourself as well. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is that's part of the empathy Mm. and compassion package, right? Mm -hmm. And just your, you know, any kind of looking at any issue and saying, okay, I can't control another person, but what's what's my part? What can I do? And um, I poured my heart and soul into this book. I and Scott's done a great job too. So we're really excited about it. Maybe we'll come on and, and discuss it again when it's all kind of finalized.
0: And then I want you to turn that into your PhD dissertation. So we'll have a whole conversation about that. I know you've got kids,
1: but hey. Tell that to my three children who are working remotely from home right now.
0: I always feel like I'm talking to Dr. Snowden because you're so, so aware and really just a brilliant woman. Let me ask you one more question. If they want to reach you directly, would they go to Kristen Snowden, K R I S T I N S N O W D E N dot com and find like uh, contact or is it okay? Do you have an email for them to write you directly?
1: Sure. It's just Kristen Snowden, M F T as in marriage and family therapist at Gmail. But I, they all go to my site and I, I get it all. And I try to respond to everyone within a business day.
0: It's a blessing to know you, Kristen. You've absolutely changed my life, watching you grow and become the amazing clinician and now author that you are. By the way, what is this book called? So when it comes out, we'll all know.
1: Life Anonymous, The 12 Steps Are For Everyone.
0: Well, I can definitely agree with that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, almost Dr. Kristen Snowden, (laughs) someone I admire, and I think she really gets it Um, with compassion for addicts, but with a deep deep understanding of what the partners are experiencing. Thank you, Kristen. I hope to have you back soon.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com.